On this episode of AV Week, we take a look at large venue markets now that the Oakland Raiders are moving to Las Vegas. One final grand NFL stadium will be built. How to get in on the ground floor of that and where the market's headed. Also take a look at AV over IP and geeking out at Infocom. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Extron Electronics, and by Daylight, the leading producer of high-quality projection screens worldwide. This is AV Week, episode 292, recorded Friday, March 31st, 2017. Just a little more. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to talk about that very thing, the news and information of the week, first and foremost, his name is Steve Greenblatt. He is the chief everything at Control Concepts, and he also hosts a show for us called State of Control. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? I am doing well. Doing well. Good, good to be here. Yeah. Uh, also, I actually have a lot of control guys on this week. I'm not quite sure how that, that exactly happened. Uh, I need to fire my producer. But that's me. So uh, next up is Dave Hatz. He is a control guru for AVI Systems and my favorite Blackhawks and, uh, and uh, uh, Packers fan. How are you, sir? Doing awesome. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with control guys. No, I love my <laughs> control guys. <laughs> Writing a, a, a nice little control piece for uh, for um, uh, a CN right now, and it's been an awful lot. Maybe that's what happened. I was subconsciously. I've been writing this piece subconsciously. Uh, last but not least, uh, his name is John Huntington, professor of entertainment technology at the uh, in uh, uh, for uh, uh, it's not Cooney anymore, is it? It's very confusing. We have three names, but yeah, yeah. we're part of Cooney, but it's New York City College of Technology or CTE. okay. Uh, CUNY, if you don't know, is the City um, University of, of New York, but but you're part of that whole system. My name is John Huntington. How are, how are you, sir? Good. In a rainy New York. Rainy New York. Uh, we're going to – I need to resurrect this, John, real quick. Uh, um, we were talking off the air about John's haunted house, and the reason I say control system is John has a haunted house that he and his students do, and some of the coolest con- show control I've ever seen. So uh, we either need to re- resurrect that that podcast we did, good Lord, Five years ago now, or wow, do another yeah. one. So, all right, let's uh, let's chat about the AV news and information. Uh, first and foremost, from our friends over at Commercial Integrator, there's a webinar that they're doing uh, in conjunction with ZV, and not for nothing, but ZV's got some pretty interesting things as far as sending uh, HD over IP or AV over IP in general. Um, what I wanted to ask you guys, and if you're if you're listening to this podcast next week or watching it, uh, the webinar is, is April nineteenth. Uh, like I said, uh, Commercial Integrator is doing it in conjunction with ZV. Uh, Dave, I want to start with you on this because over the last six months, probably even over the last year, we've had a number of let me call them standards, and, and I'm going to use that word in quotations, but standards based on sending audio and video over 
network, not twisted parent. Please understand the differentiation here. Um, I know you do, Dave, but just for the, those listening, I can send you know certain protocols and certain signals over twisted pair. That does not necessarily mean it's over IP. Does not necessarily mean it's, it's over network. I remember 10, 15 years ago, um, two competing products were basically taking uh, the analog audio and video and converting it somehow and, and transmitting it over the twisted pair, basically using the copper as a transport. They weren't necessarily turning it into ones and zeros. So let's, let's back away from that a little bit and ta- talk about actual network transport here. Dave, give me a sense, a, a real quick 30 second where we're at as far as transmitting over the network and where do you think we're going to go over the next year or so? Well, I, th- I think we're past that sort of bleeding edge of, of adoption. Okay. You start to see, I mean, if you look at just all the manufacturers out there who are do, you know, have been on, we'll call it the HD based T bandwagon who have been doing, you know, have, have started out and realized that, Oh, we need products to transmit video and audio to compete with everyone else. They're right now starting to release, you know, IP based products. And obviously there's a number of big players who've been doing it for quite a while and have really, you know, fortified their products, fortified their, you know, the standards that they've adopted. And, you know, so I think we're, we're coming into a spot where at Infocom, especially this year, streaming IP is going to be all over the place. And it's a good thing. I mean, I think that's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's one that I've tried to get everyone at AVI and all of our customers to approach it as it's just another transport. The same way that you might use, you know, baseband video, you might use HD base T, you also might use IP. And it's important to everyone in the industry to understand and to educate themselves where each one applies, what are the benefits, where are the drawbacks, and then you can make an informed decision. You know, I don't think we're going to get to a point, at least anytime soon, where IP is going to be the only solution. I think there's still a place for HD base T. There's still a place for baseband video, but I think there's a lot of attractive aspects to IP. The biggest being that it's expandable. You're not locked into the physical IO connections of a traditional routing system. And that's, you know, the article that we were talking about in commercial integrator really goes to that, that, you know, with IP gone are, at least in some respects, the days of forklift upgrades, where we have to take that eight by eight input switcher and replace it with a by a 16 by 16 chassis because I need that ninth input. You know, now <laughs> no, no, that's a good, that's a valid point, dude. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you, you know, how many times we've done that where a customer has eight inputs, eight outputs, and our choices are to pre-switch on one of the inputs and give up some flexibility or to turn around and put a new chassis in that's oversized for what they need, but they just need a little bit more. And that's one of the things IP has the potential to alleviate. Now, I will throw out on the flip side when you're deploying IP solutions, you need to be very conscious of the network you're putting it on. And you need to design the, the network the same way that traditionally you would have designed your inputs and outputs of that, that core chassis. It's important to consider. And when you get it right, it's great. And when you don't, there's problems just like any other system that we install. It's just this time it's less likely to be the cables and more likely to be the configuration. 
Yeah. Or, or the, you know, or the power of the network itself, because you're right. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's just like with a, a switcher and they were back in the day, they were various types of switchers and uh, bandwidth and speed and stuff like that. Same thing with the network. If you, if you design and install a network and you give it less than the needed power uh, or bandwidth, you're going to have some issues. Um, well, and, and the other thing I'll throw out is, you know, when you're, when you're looking at IP, it very much is a three-sided triangle where you get really high quality, you know, near lossless quality, you get bandwidth on another point, the amount of traffic it takes to get that signal from point A to point B, and you get latency on the third point, how quickly the signal moves from point A to point B. And as with most triangles, you can't have all three, you can have two of them. What, what is it, but, fast, easy, and cheap? Exactly, the, or? exactly. Oh, no, fa fast, good, and cheap. Yeah. So, yeah. Fast, good, and cheap. All right, Steve, let's bring this in over to the, the pure control side and, and, and talking about controlling these systems. Um, not for nothing, but control systems themselves over the last 10 or 15, eh, over the last 10 years really, have started migrating as well to the network. So Mr. Hatz makes a very good point. You're, you've got to figure in not just the bandwidth for your audio and video, but also for the other th parts and pieces of the AV system. So how are you, how are you managing that? Not just with your clients, but your clients' clients. We've been on the network for a while, I think. And I think it's something that's a conversation that you have to have with every system. So uh, it's, it is something new to, to think about in terms of how do you pass the video and audio and how do you, and, and how do you segment the network? But, but I think we've been getting comfortable in those conversations. And I think long, past are the days where we are intimidated by having a IT person in a room. I think that the, the comfort level is now there where we can have intelligent conversations. We have documentation to point to. We, we have the, the right people to, to be able to, to, to come together and say, this is, this is reality. This is something that's accepted. And, and we, we could talk about how to plan and, and what kind of, uh, talking about where Dave was going with things too, there's, there's always this need to be able to be expandable and, and future-proof. And I think that uh, video and audio over the network is that solution. All right. John, uh, I want to take a little bit sidestep side here with you specifically because of what you do and working in uh, not just show control as well, but also you know, we mentioned the Haunted House. That is a, a student-led product project where you guys are showing them how to run shows. One of the most interesting things, and, and I actually still have John's book behind me, uh, his, his show control book, um, in there, and you wrote that, good Lord, four or five years ago now, you were already doing things on the network, right? Uh, on, on your blog, there was some, some really, pretty, pretty in, in, impressive pictures of all the switches and everything like that. So walk me through sending audio and video and, and, and control, obviously, in a what I'll call a, a high pressure system or high pressure environment like a show and what you guys do to safeguard uh, troubles that happens, you know, whether it's redundancy or what have you, how you guys mitigate some of those issues that pop up. Oh, sure. So we actually, uh, yeah, we've been doing the haunted house now. I honestly can't remember anymore, but like 15 years. So it started, it was all serial and MIDI and contact closures and stuff. And now for four or five years now, it's been a hundred percent IP 
control and also distribution. And we've been running Dante for five years now, something like that. Um, and then all the control is up there. We also stream a bunch of surveillance video over it just with off the shelf, uh, you know, POE cameras and stuff. Uh, and I've actually written on my blog, uh, I don't know, many thousands of words about the uh, audio networking and the live performance side, which of course overlaps with the permanent install, but we're in a little bit different area. And uh, the Dante solution for us has really become, uh, I wouldn't say a de facto standard, but it's, it's very, very widely used in the live sound market now. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting, we're still seeing, for example, like having students around is one of the best ways to see how people can find new ways to uh, plug things in strange ways. And uh, <laughs> so we're still seeing some things, just them wrapping their, their minds around the idea, like, oh, you have the switch. And what's kind of weird with that, also on The Haunted House, is that, uh, and this is something for people who are just trying to learn this stuff, that the topology, physical topology of your system now is really divorced from the signal flow. So the old days, you know, we'd have this thing would go from here to here to here with a bunch of cable. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, then you could kind of follow it, could put your hand on it, figure it out. But nowadays it's like, Oh, everything's plugging into a switch and then it's all virtual, the pathways between. And, uh, that to me, once you get your mind around that, it's really great. And there's so many benefits of it. And I think this kind of idea of moving, uh, some video on IP is pretty exciting to me because I just actually said we're building a new building and we were really struggling with what kind of cable infrastructure we want uh, in there because we do, we do a lot of HDVST stuff currently and I actually just using it on a show it's running again tonight. We're using it just to send some video a few hundred feet back and forth. Yeah. But I literally just printed out the chart the other day that, I mean, it works great, but you know, with 5E it's this length with 6A it's this length with seven it's this length. Uh, and it gets kind of crazy. So I'd love to see, oh, it's just the Ethernet switch, uh, and we, you know, we can sort of manage that. I would say I just Googled ZV, and the, right on their homepage it says, send zero latency video over IP with Zypher. So I'd be kind of interested in how they're doing anything with zero latency. Unless don't, don't, do not, don't, don't get me started about <laughs> zero latency. That's right. Um, you can Real say quick, very yeah, short yeah. latency, but I don't know how you can do zero. But it's right on the you homepage. Can't. Yeah, exactly. Um, Nanoseconds, sure. Really, yes, exactly. Nanoseconds, and and maybe it's it's visually, you know, right. Zero. I'd say within a frame. That's fine. within a frame, you know, and and right. good lord, all of us are old enough to remember, you know, twenty nine drop frame. So, right. um, real quickly, John, how do you? I guess I should ask it this way: How do you get folks to wrap their head around that? Because understand, all four of us are of a certain age. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I'm not going to say what that age is. I'm just right. saying we're all of a certain age. Sure. We grew up with that physical device. And at my, my first job in radio, I had an actual patch bay, right? right? I, I freaking, you know, a, a version of a quarter inch uh, plug, but it's a quarter inch plug, you know, from one port to another port to get it back up on the board. That was our routing system. So there was, you're right. It was a physical piece that I could look at right. and I could interface with. And there's not anymore. So when, you, when you're teaching the, the, the next generation and the generation after that coming up, do you think it's easier for them because they don't have that physical piece so they can visualize it? Or is it hard because they don't have a physical piece to, to wrap their head up on? Yeah, it's actually really fascinating. I think it's harder. And because what happened with us is our programs only existed about 15, 20 years, you know, in the form that it is now. So we actually didn't have a whole lot of sort of historical equipment there and, you know, the 
older stuff that was there. But we had, you know, we started, we had a couple digital consoles and a bunch of analog stuff. And then as things got older, we kind of let the analog stuff just sort of age out and not replace it because you're like, well, I don't need all these reverbs and compressors because I got this console. It's all built in. And then last year, a couple years ago, I went back and we actually went back and purchased a whole lot more analog stuff to replace all our old things because now I realized that they were just really struggling with it to us. And maybe it's because of the way um, the, you know, digital consoles in the audio area anyway are, are modeled. They're modeled, you know, based on the old analog stuff that all of us came up with. Um, but yeah, we now start with analog uh, and then have them do that and get, you know, until they get all the, you know, what an aux send is and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, and then once they're done with that, then we go, okay, now I literally do a, a lecture this year where I drew the analog thing on the whiteboard and I just drew, then I drew a box around, okay, all that's in the console now. Same thing, <laughs> it's there. It's just that it's a number now. And I think in video, it's a little bit easier on the more broadcast staging side because it's still, you know, like it's an SDI cable or something like that. So that uh, point-to-point kind of idea still exists uh, to some extent until you get into really crazy systems. But even then, we're still kind of, you know, we're rationing it down to some smaller, you know, gateways between things. So it's a little easier to understand. But that, I think, as that goes, you know, fully on the network, that, that could uh, change. If you, if I could be so bold as to add something to your lecture, if you can pull up the Yamaha, the Yamaha ad from a number of years ago, where, it, and I still remember this because it was a, it was a great ad, and it, it visualizes exactly what you're talking about. It was, and I don't remember the console was like thirty thousand dollars. It was you can buy this console for thirty thousand dollars, or you can buy this console, and it was a sixteen channel console and sixteen channels of compression and sixteen channels of EQ and it was like, you know, hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars for everything. Right. So it really it really really did visualize well, that's, that. And that's what I say to the students that we're not going back, right? Because you can't even the console, you know, we're we're a big Yamaha shop and uh, the console we bought that replaced the other digital console now, CL five is is like a third of the a third less does more, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I also think it's gonna stick around for a while. Uh, all these things now, I think we're kind of there, at least on the audio side. So it's, uh, you know, our last console, and I didn't tell the administration this, but there's really nothing wrong with it other than it doesn't have a touchscreen or USB port, but it still works fine. And the new one doesn't really even do much more, uh, really, other than it's, that's, it has a different operating paradigm. So it's important from a training aspect. No, and, and, the, and the, the ability to save those, those scenes, though, is, is important. Oh, yeah. We, we still, the other console can do it, but it's on Compact Flash, so. Oh, <laughs> okay. The thing, the right. thing I'll, thing I'll add to that real quick, the thing I'll add to that, though, is think about taking that paradigm of how the audio industry has adapted from analog to video over, or I mean, analog to digital over a number of years, and think forward now on the video side. If we, you know, once we get into IP, everything becomes software-based. Right. So now things like, you know, the way you took those compressors and instead of being standalone boxes, now they're just baked in. Think things like, you know, keying, things like, you know, character, you know, character generation, graphics now become integrated in a whole lot more products, potentially things, you know, moving forward in the video realm that we do manually once in a while have the opportunity to come in and become more commonplace. And that's where I, I'm curious to see where some of the manufacturers start to really push that paradigm on the video side is putting in a little bit more features for the same or less cost than we had before and really seeing where that can fly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, and here's the thing we're, folks are still debating whether or not AV and IT are, are the same thing or separate or 
can you know can night next to each other or whatever that is the benefit actually of of accepting the it-ness uh, uh and, and the computer part as we kind of can move forward is holy cow you know we can do things um you know and we we bitch and moan about firmware updates but firm <laughs> just with the flick of a switch with with firmware a lot of the products that we put in have a whole new set of features uh, just with you know a simple simple but a, but a, a firmware update so yeah that it, it's really really cool kind of where we're going so. and and I I would say there's no question that AV is IT now it's just a question of who does it yeah. which department does it. I mean we're kind of lucky in in my school that the IT department's kind of overwhelmed and they leave us alone and we run our own cable and do all kinds of other stuff um, but I think it, it, we're building you know managed networks and doing all the same stuff it's just the, we have a few different concerns and just a question of who's doing it. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, real quickly, we're going to um, talk a little bit. It, it's an odd story for us, at least. Um, this is, comes to us from ESPN. I, I'm not kidding. Uh, ESPN. <laughs> um, this week, uh, the Oakland Raiders were announced that they are moving to Las Vegas. And the headline here is, with $6.7 billion in public money, the NFL closes a stadium era. This is written by Kevin uh, Sievert. He talks a little bit about the, the public money that's going into building the stadium in Las Vegas. Um, not for nothing, and, and let's go around the horn here. I'll, I'll do it for you guys. Steve and John are both in the New York, New Jersey area. Small little stadium that was open there called the Meadowlands a couple of years ago. $1 billion and some change. Uh, actually, a, a young man from the St. Louis area helped, uh, was, was the, the operations manager for that. Um, uh, so Mr. Hatz is in Chicago. Uh, not that they have a new stadium in Chicago, but they had an awfully big upgrade in Chicago a, a few years ago. I'm in St. Louis, <clears throat> which is Oakland Central. Uh, so we, we lost a, a, a football's team to another uh, city called Los Angeles. And even through all that, they, were, they incorporated um, and hired an architectural firm I know of three AV companies in St. Louis alone that were bidding on that new stadium that the St. Louis community was trying to put together. The reason I want to bring this up is, is two things. And Steve, we're going to start with you on this. There's obviously going to be a stadium that's being built in Las Vegas. So question number one is, how do you get in to that system? How do you get into that job? And how do you determine whether or not you want to get in on that job? Good question. Uh, you know, it obviously depends on, on, on what type of work that you, you you go after and the type of work that you do. Because and, and we've discussed this before that that's work that you do in stadiums is different than works that you do in conference rooms or classrooms or homes or whatever it might be. Um, it definitely you definitely have to start as far up the food chain as you can get. So you know, with an architect or a designer or consultants and and. And if it's if that's something that that you really are after, and you have, and it's in your core competency, making some type of a pitch based on other work that you've done, and and trying to 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 really um, make make an impression, obviously uh, it, it is going to give you an advantage. Um, I I 
think that that's something that it also can can be regional because you you want to be able to service that type of a, a system because it isn't something that you just do and walk away from it. I, and I know from uh, speaking to others who have been involved in stadium work that that even throughout the first season of or the first year of of being in a new stadium, there there are many many things that go on that challenge the system and that you need to be on call to support. And then. There's also different types of components within a stadium. I mean, we, I know you could have everything from controlling the overall stadium sound and video to being in a suite to some of them also have conference rooms and, and boardrooms that you have to consider. So there, there's many different or aspects. trophy rooms, depending on the, the That's you know, true too. success <laughs> of, that, of that franchise. That is true too. We we, we definitely know somebody who, who had to uh, think about adding a, yeah, it a wasn't trophy hats, to a touchdown. It panel. wasn't hats in the Bears, so let's just put that you know, <laughs> or, or, or even Green Bay in the last ten years. So, um, all right, John, I want to bring you in on this because John, not for nothing, is, is he teaches students. How do you train, or, or what do you train your students to get jobs like this and and to maintain? I mean, Steve mentioned the first year or two and I would I would actually argue the first year or two yeah as you kind of move into a system and then the five or ten year mark once that system has some uh, is long in the tooth you're going to run into different issues so how do you train your students to get you know hit the ground running and be able to maintain these systems and run them yeah I think it's an interesting question the um, <clears throat> I think the our, part of our core philosophy is focusing on the fundamentals because as we all know you know we make people experts in some whatever type of system today that system will be obsolete in five years or out of business or whatever but if you understand you know what a video signal is what an ip address is what a you know frequency is all those type of things then it's just a question of how do you uh you know get to those things uh, on whatever system it is and also for troubleshooting uh, and, and it's kind of interesting that like, people ask me, well, how do you troubleshoot something? And I really had to think about that. And I actually have a chapter in my book, just like a process. Cause you just, so we just do it. We don't even think about it. Uh, but the key part of that is just understanding the fundamental, you know, what's going on in there. Uh, and we see, uh, again, being around students a lot and you see a lot of things like we'll see, you know, a BNC connector can be many different things. And they're just like, Oh, I had a BNC connector. I plugged it in. And they're like, well, you just took, an analog thing and plug into a digital thing and they don't really get that. So I think that's our philosophy. We focus on that. And then in terms of getting them into these uh, companies and getting the jobs, uh, we, uh, we have a required internship. Uh, of course, being in New York, we're, we're uh, lucky with that. And we, our students end up more in the live events and staging market than uh, installation, but that we have had a few students that do it for a while and then they don't want to have the crazy hours and whatever and end up in the install side. And I think it, it comes from, I think if you can survive in the live event world, then the transition to the install side is a little easier than the other way around because you're kind of coming from the crazier area, you know, into the, not that installs can't be crazy, but it's a little more, uh, uh, not quite. Controlled chaos. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, Mr. Hatz, here's the hard question. This, this is the crystal ball question. If this gentleman is right, and, and we have ended the, the era of the big stadium upgrades and, and is talking to a few, few people, you know, every stadium is different, but but the average is about 20, 30 years, and this started about 20 years ago. Um, where's the next stadium market? Uh, you, you've got folks that, that made their bread and butter for the last 20 years on building stadiums. Where's the next market that, that is that? Well, I think, you know, as we look at it from the technology side, I have to disagree with the headline that okay. – 
I don't see it being over by a long shot. And in part, that's because game experience is what really trumps all in the in you know as far as the 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 stadium managers are concerned it's about the game experience and every team is looking to up you know up the competition to be the best in in the, in their sport league and so i see you know you know mobile entertainment is becoming really hot you know there's a lot of being focused on trying to get more in the hands of each you know patron at a sporting event, whether it's statistics, video replays, you know, just being able to, you know, wayfinding and, you know, what we, almost digital signage type applications. There's a lot being put in towards improving game day entertainment. And so I see, I see a lot of technology, you know, a lot of opportunity for technology to continue to advance in, you know, in these sporting arenas. And the other thing, you know, I sort of mentioned it, but every team is, is looking to, around to see what the others are doing. It, they're, they're, it's a really, really tight community, not even just baseball with baseball, football with football, but everybody in that, that small community knows what the others are doing. And by goodness, if, they, if somebody catches on to a good idea, the next season you can bet there's going to be half a dozen or a dozen teams doing the same thing. And in two or three years, every team is going to have it. Yeah. And so, you know, to say that, you know, yes, I think, the idea of building the brand new facility might be on hold for a while that there's not too many teams left who need that. But I think you're going to continue to see, you know, the refreshes and those are going to include rebuilding the suites, rebuilding the concourses, freshening up the restaurants. It's going to include all of those aspects, which have, you know, you, you might have an eight year old stadium, but I'll bet you they're planning on how do they refresh the concessions next season or how do they upgrade the suites to make them more attractive and be able to raise the price on them? How can they, you know, they want to, they want to increase ticket prices. You can be sure of that. And so, you know, they are conscious of what technology, what, ex, what is that game day experience? And they're going to continue to invest in that. I'll, I'll add one more piece to your game day experience. And that, that comes to us by way of our, our editor in chief, uh, Josh Schrago. When uh, the Pokemon Go craze came out, his initial reaction was, think about going to a game and having all of your fantasy football stats and you hold up your phone and you have an app that watches you know, that player and, and their fantasy football stats are automatically updated while you're watching through your phone. So you know, AR is certainly in there as well. So. All right, gentlemen, that's going to do us uh, real quickly. Um, Infocom is coming up. John has a couple things, or actually has one thing. It, it's, a, it's a cool thing that, that I know a couple of folks have gone to. I still have not made it to, and I apologize for that. Uh, but it is, it's, it's, it is a, it's a geek tour. Um, and I'll bring up the, the, the page here, John, on your website. We'll put a link to it on, on, our, on our page here. But explain to folks exactly what you're kind of looking for. Sure. Yeah, we do this thing. Uh, uh, my buddy Jim Janik, who uh, has a company in Orlando called Timber Spring, he does a lot of control stuff for uh, all he can ever say is a major theme park uh, in Orlando. But you can guess who he works for mostly. Um, so for uh, God, I don't know six, seven years now, we have done during Infocom. It's not part of Infocom, but a lot of uh, obviously AB people there. A lot of control and show control people there. People doing control for live shows and theme parks and stuff like that. So what we started doing is we find some space uh, somewhere wherever the town is, <clears throat> and then we just get together and do basically case studies to each other 
uh, on whatever projects were interesting that year. So we usually, we select three or four different projects and uh, it's totally open. We actually have some exciting news I can't announce yet about people sponsoring it and it's gonna be pretty interesting. But what's open right now is a, uh, we're looking for proposals uh, that's due on, I'm trying to find April 24th. And if you go to my website, which can control D, sorry, I can't even say my own website, controlgeek.net. I have the same um, problem, John. Yeah. The, uh, have a Google form there. If you fill that out, we're always looking for projects. We usually doesn't have to be a theme park. It's my definition of show control is just any two or more entertainment control systems tied together in some ways. So lighting and sound, sound and video, sound and pyro, pyro and machinery, uh, typically for live shows. Uh, and we get, and what's kind of fascinating is this is all, you know, people from direct competitors in the show control market basically presenting to each other about what they did, which makes it really fun. And then uh, this year, we, we usually have some kind of thing, typically like mini golf or bowling or something afterwards and drinking, of course, that's always involved. Um, so that'll be uh, all part of it. And we have, that said, I, we have some news about that. I can't quite announce yet, but that's coming very soon. But the event itself will be June 15th, uh, Thursday, I think six o'clock usually. There's, at Infocom, of course, there's always conflicts. We always oh, conflict yeah. with the Crestron party or something, but uh, that seemed, that date seems to work pretty well. But the deadline, if you're interested in submitting something, is April 24th, and you can see all. And I also have, on my website, I have a link to uh, previous ones uh, so you can see what we've done in the past. But it's, okay. it's totally free. No one gets paid, obviously, uh, for anything. But also, it's free for anybody to attend. We did one. The last time we were in Orlando, actually, we did it in the public library. And one of the things, I gave away a copy of my book to some kid who just randomly showed up at the library, came to the presentation and thought it was really cool. So I, I had, did a, you know, drew names out of a hat. And that was really great because he's like, wow, this is really cool. I didn't even know this was a thing. So that's oh, the fun cool. part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So take a look at that. Like I said, we'll, we'll put a link to that and, and all the other cool. stories that we've, we've talked about on, on the show page. Uh, gentlemen, Steve, how do, uh, how do people find, a, find you, get a hold of you for uh, control, uh, control concepts? Uh, company website is controlconcepts.net and personally I'm on social media at Steve Greenblatt and uh, be sure to check out a state of control on navynation.tv. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Hats is on there every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Hats, how do people find you and or AVI systems? Uh, well, avisystems.com. Um, personally, I'm on the Twitter at, uh, at Dave Hats AVI. And if you're in the Chicago area, come the first week of May, yes, you, I, you will see a, a longtime uh, Packers fan in one Mr. Hats hanging out with a longtime Bears fan. That would be me talking about IoT security in Soldier field absolutely avi live the first week of may uh avisystems.com to get more information and sign up but yep. there will be tours of soldier field yes. all kinds of av information it security healthcare. we've got you covered on all the bases so yeah, collaboration all sorts of stuff so absolutely all right mr huntington um one more time how do people get a hold of you uh, I'm, I have a bunch of different social media things but they're all linked back from uh, controlgeek.net is my website Perfect. All right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, don't follow me on, on the Twitters. Although at this point I'm celebrating the 15 people the bears have at quarterback right now. Um, go by the website. If you would, please, by the time you're listening to this, we have a new site. Now we're recording this on Friday. So these guys can't see the new site, but you can see the new site. Cause it's going to be live by the time you hear this, I'm saying that. And 
<laughs> hoping nothing goes sideways <laughs> this weekend. But uh, publicly now, yes, and exactly. Goodness for post-production, if you. Oh need my it. gosh, yeah, I'll cut this whole thing off if it doesn't go up. Uh, but no, avnation.tv, avnation.tv, brand spanking new site. Uh, lots of cool stuff in the back end. Um, new look. Let us know what you think. Um, as I mentioned, we'll put all of the story links, links to John's um, John's website as well on the on the show page. Um, so check that out if you would, please. Also, uh, if you could, we, we have a different model for advertiser. We call them underwriters. They help us and they support what we do. So we ask that you support them. Check that out as well. All of that is at avnation.tv. Avnation.tv, thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. This has been AV Week. Thank you.